Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? send a proposal. I think it's an excuse. I know I'm supposed to be kinder to people, but I just am like, you could send a proposal while you're freaking out. I just, I think that's youth too. You're right. I mean, like when I was young, I was like, okay, like exactly what Shay said, which was when we're young, we feel like we have to be a mess all the time. I think Mm -hmm. maybe especially Mm -hmm. as women, but Mm -hmm. you don't, you really don't. Yeah. No, you don't. It is a shitty time. There's a, yeah, there's like this weird glamorousness associated with being a mess. I feel like, you know what did that to us? Maybe <laughs> reality bites. Mm, reality yeah. bites really yeah. glamorize this like, and it's part of the manic pixie dream girl thing, which, and by the way, what other sort of, sexual Trope. archetypes did we have besides manic dream curl so you have to be short and skinny to have any short skinny and a mess yeah i mean it's like what i know it and that's look all comes down to the writing too it's like those things are written so that's why we have to write different things because the stuff that gets i'm just learning about this from watching these idiot films is that the stuff that gets in, you know, immortalized, right? In art is the stuff that then shapes what what we know to have as our as our archetypes or as our. And I'm like, oh my god, we have to change this immediately because uh, this immediately, is... immediamente, absolutely, immediamente. <laughs> uh, Miles thought I was so dumb when I said. Um, that he's like, you don't know what a meritocracy is. I was like, no, I seriously thought it was an emeritus, Americastocracy. He was like, oh my god. But that's okay. I'm willing to be transparently dumb on tape. I don't care. Oh. It's the truth. Oh, absolutely. Meritocracy. I guess I've never, I've never had to use that word in a sentence. You know what I think is f- fascinating is whenever you. Um, have you ever had the experience, and not that I can rec- recall the exact time I've had this experience, but have you ever, mm-hmm. either you or somebody you're talking to, it's like there's just this thing or this word or this concept that they somehow missed. They were never in the room when it was being discussed. They were never, like, you, you could just miss a whole Yes. Like, um, yes. Or like a saying, yes. somebody, and, and you'll be like, you never heard that before. You never like, yes, I've had that a million times where it's like miles is basically a space alien. So he doesn't, he doesn't know any know. pop culture references and stuff. Yeah. Well, more than that, he like, he like, no, doesn't know how to pronounce certain things. Like, cause I think as a kid, he wasn't social. I, I don't know, but he says cashews instead of cashews. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds to me like a person who read a lot as a kid. And yeah, I have my best friend in middle school, which we call junior high, but um, she knew all of her vocabulary from, from reading. She's still is a voracious reader. 
And she said so many things that I had to be like, yeah. that's not how you say that. Right. And, and Miles says, uh, hurriedly. Oh, wow. Okay. Hurriedly. Okay. Hey, let me run this by you. It's actually more of a question. Are you, are you afraid of death? Not really. Living is more scary. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I and and I and I have I feel like I have to give a million caveats here. I'm not trying to die. I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal. And I have been, so I I know the difference. I just I have never been afraid of death. The, there's a whole and it's a lot in art, you know, there's a lot of fear of death being worked out in art. And, and, and I think most people would say that they, they fear the, the reaper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I, I, I simply do not, I'm not ready to go. I got plenty of things I want to do and I certainly don't want to abandon my family, right. but like, and 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 the only thing that's sort of death wishy about it is I really don't want to be ninety. Oh. I really, I, I I'm good with going out in my eighties. Okay, I, I think that'd be a good way to go. I think that's normal, and I think that that um, yeah, I think my biggest fear is being out of control, which is what we are anyway. Um, so if if, and I also do better with information. I don't like not, not knowing if the plane is going to crash. But if you tell me, listen, we're on this plane and it's going to crash. I don't like that. But at least I know what I'm working with. I'm like, okay, this is it for me. But it's the not knowing that is, and that is really about a fear of control, not having control and not being taken care of. It's actually, I'm not that afraid of like, death. I've seen because I've, you know, I've seen a lot. I've been with three I've been with two people as they actually died and like goners, my parents, but then I've also been with people who are dying and my experiences now that's, you know, only a couple, but it, it wasn't scary. That part wasn't scary. It's the not right. knowing and the fighting. Yeah. It, that is like, Oh no. But um, yeah, I'm not afraid yeah, I don't, I can't say that that's like, I'm more afraid of looking foolish than dying, like, like being ashamed. Oh, oh yeah. I, I can think of a million things that are, that are really big <laughs> abiding fears that like I've spent a lot of time grappling with and contending with. But I, I recently heard somebody say that like all fears are essentially a fear of death. I, I mean, if it is, it's so under the radar or so subconscious for me that, you know, I, I can't relate to that at all. Like a lot of the humor, and I know we don't, we don't uh, care about Woody Allen anymore, but even when we did care about him, I, I did, I, I found it funny to some degree, but it was more like funny at, I, I thought his neuroticism was funny. I didn't think his, Wait, how do I mean to say this? I thought 
his neuroticism was funny from the outside. And I think a lot of people think it's funny from the inside, like they really relate. Right. Right. And I just think it's like, you know, like silly. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I can't relate. And also there is, he's like, so I'm just thinking about it, like privileged to be that neurotic. You know what I'm saying? The, yes. the rest of us have to just buck up, take a pill and we can't wallow around in our neuroticism all day. That's like, that's like a privilege. So like, I didn't think he was funny. I thought he was annoying, but I thought the, 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 some of the circumstances of that his neuroses created were kind of funny, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't relate to, if you can relate to that guy on a deep level, you need to get a different hobby because, <laughs> but no, I think a lot of people, I think, and, and his main thing is like fear of death. That's where most of his comedy came from, but okay. Yeah. I'm going to push back then on this idea that all fears are essentially a fear of death. I think, I think that you and I knowing uh, the psychological stuff that we do, the fear could be of, of losing control, not being taken care of being alone and feeling invisible done and done. Like, Oh, you know who the people who are most afraid of dying are a lot of them narcissists. Interesting. It's like you, you can't imagine the world going on without you. I'm like, right. I mean, I don't want to leave either. But when I look at the stars, I'm like comforted in knowing like maybe a thousand years from now, there'll be a peaceful society looking up at the stars going, man. Life yeah. is all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Life. But I, I think I share some of the same fears as you. Like I'm afraid of looking foolish. I'm afraid of, I'm kind of afraid of making mistakes, although I'm getting more comfortable with that. Um, I'm definitely afraid of losing control. I, I really, I really can't manage that very well. But then how could you do, how did you, you know, when you talked about our theater school days and doing, doing drugs with, with people, um, was that how, you, you felt it worked out? Cause I try to take drugs and I have panic attacks. It doesn't work out for me. Yeah. The thing about the drugs that I did in college, it was a means to an end. I, I did it because every, because all my friends were doing it and, I mean, I never would have done any of that on, on my own, and I haven't done any of it since I, I left college. Um, it was, yeah, it was like the camaraderie. The first time I smoked pot was at Apartment 3, and uh, the, 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 the experience of it was whatever that was happening to me was whatever, but it was that everybody was so excited that it was my first time smoking oh, pot. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's my memory of it. My memory is of how the people kind of took it on to like, they like took care of the you thrill. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Because by the time people started getting into hard drugs, I, I was like, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, in no. fact, even, even there was even like a little sub circle within my group of friends that, that did that. And it was, it's, it started with actually, it's so interesting to think about. It started with one of these people getting some cocaine and it was always like, do you want to come in the back room with us? Wow. Why is it always a back room? I don't know. And I, and the minute somebody asked me to do that and that that became a part, 
I was like, oh no, I, this is not, I, right. this is not for me. Right. I, I don't care to be a part of this. No, I don't need to be in a back room. I, 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 that's frightening. <laughs> yeah. Like you like the, you like things to be out in the open. I like things to be out in the open too. I don't like su- secrets and I don't like surprises. No secrets that, and that's what it is. That count, that counterculture, that section of it is real secretive. And, and that to me means someone is going to get hurt eventually. Yeah. Okay, today on the show, we have the lovely and delightful Jen Ellison, who still lives in Chicago, teaches improv, works for Second City, uh, teaches... Oh, she has a really funny story about being an ethics professor, which she's... Oh, yeah, she used to teach ethics. That was... That's a fantastic story. She's a great director. She works all over the place and um, uh, just a, a kind, detailed, specifically funny human being. Yes. Enjoy our interview with Jen Ellison. <laughs> anyway, um, hi, Jen. Congratulations. Hi. You survived theater school. Oh, thank God. And <laughs> not only did you survive, but you have gone on. Well, do you teach at DePaul or you you teach elsewhere? I teach... Hang on for just one second. I'm trying. Can I? Can you hear yeah. me? Okay. How is the mic? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I can, can you hear, you hear great. a buzz or a, a fizz at all? No, not at all. No. Great. Great. I just want to make you sure a, you have an own private fizz. Do you hear <laughs> a fizz? I do. These headphones suck. Um, oh. But my but my mic is nice. I just got one. That's a good Ooh. mic. Oh. Very good. So anyway, uh, so yes, I teach. Um, so I don't teach in the theater school at DePaul, which I think is really funny. Um, <laughs> I teach in the communications school. Um, I teach screenwriting um, and uh, in various forms. Um, for a while, for about seven years, I taught ethics in uh, video game and cinema until they realized I didn't have wow. a moral philosophy degree. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Did we forget something here? <laughs> I don't know. Well, it was funny because I saw it for like seven years. And then one day I got an email from them saying, by the way, we don't think you have a degree in this, do you? And I went, um, no, I just was told to teach this class. So I did. And then, <laughs> and I actually got oh really good God. at it. And then they were like, we can't, sorry. And I was like, <gasps> that out. I get it. You, you want somebody who has a degree in the thing they're teaching and didn't just wow. teach it to themselves in order to. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What you're if I'm understanding what you're saying, <laughs> mm-hmm, you got a job teaching a, 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 something that you knew you didn't have a degree to teach and then you just taught it to yourself. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's brilliant. You should, they actually should have promoted you to the head of the ethics department. <laughs> I know. And I never told anybody that I was like, oh yes, I have this degree. Like I never told that to my students. I never, cause I, I always felt a little bit like, should I be teaching this? I don't know. 
You had an ethical <laughs> quandary in the middle of your spot. That's so a screenplay funny. right there. Right there. You know what? I was actually thinking about writing a um uh writing a sitcom about an adjunct professor who just keeps getting classes and things they don't know. But because yes. they're a, a good teacher, they just teach it to themselves and then eventually wind up like teaching, you know. Welding. I think you should do what welding also. Like you teach teach yourself <laughs> right. welding, teach you yourself like soldering irons and things. That would be fantastic. I think I have something wrong in my brain where I'm like, oh yeah, I could I could teach that. How hard can it be? Yeah. No. Honestly, like it's for t- it's to get a job. I got a job that way. I got a job teaching at a private school. I mean, I ostensibly it was to teach drama, but that was not a full-time thing. So I had to teach social studies. Uh, But actually I got the social studies gig because the guy who had it before me lied about going to college. And when we got a new principal, uh, he checked everybody's, he wanted a copy of everybody's degree. And so we all brought it in. And then this one guy kept saying, Oh, I I can't find it. Oh my God. This could all be part of the sitcom. This could all be part of the sitcom. Do it. Let's the three of us do it. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Because it's like, you can, (laughs) I think, I don't, I don't think this was necessarily my case, but I feel like as long as you can declare something really um, confidently, People are like, yes. oh, they must know. You, Absolutely. Look, this is what white dudes have been doing their whole life. So we can do it. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Sure, sure. Yep. I'm, that's my new philosophy is, you know, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, like, Gina Gina and I, when we, someone, uh, an agent asked to see our pitch deck, we didn't have a pitch deck. And so Gina was like, it was a manager, was like, can we see the pitch deck? And I said, Gina, I don't know what that is. And Gina's like, neither do I, but we're going to figure it out today. And she had a pitch deck within the next, I mean, that's what women do. It's like, Truly. I, that's the other thing too, is like, I, I, I kind of have been really meditating on the William Goldman quote from his screenwriting stuff. That's like, nobody in Hollywood knows anything. None of them know what they're doing. Everybody's pretending. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and acting like they know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, which, the whole thing is pretending. Yeah, absolutely. It but. so is. Um, I also should mention though, that I do uh, I also teach at Columbia College, um, their comedy oh, writing nice. and performance major. Um, so I teach there as well. And I'm also a teacher and director for Second City. I don't know how much of anything you need. <laughs> that No, that's fantastic. Because actually, um, as you probably well know, a lot of people who got cut from the theater school ended up graduating from Columbia. And to a person, they all liked it so much better at Columbia. <laughs> Here's so it'd be interesting to hear your perspective. It is fascinating. Are we, are we on? Are we doing it now? Yes. Are we doing it? Yes, absolutely. I just want, I wasn't sure if we were going to start doing anything or if we're just like, oh, yeah, 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 we're taping, but we, we cut at will. So don't, don't, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. I don't, I so far I've not said anything that I'm, (laughs) that I will regret. Um, I think, uh, I'll roll it over in my head like over and over again, going, I, I said something terrible, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, 
So, yeah, I, it's funny when you say that. I remember when I first got the job there, I was like, I'm going to be teaching a lot of former theater school students. <laughs> and I think they got rid of their cut program right. at a certain point, but I'm not sure how I, I'm, I do have a friend who is also teaching, who has started to create the comedy major or the comedy minor that's existing at the DePaul theater school. Um, so I don't know what the level of cutness is happening there now. Um, but it's funny, there's a huge difference between the two types of students. Um, and, and it's, it's at DePaul largely, I think also, um, just a difference between DePaul and Columbia. Um, DePaul students are very proficient and they are very into, there's a little bit of a traditionalist uh, taking the craft seriously type of thing. Um, and, but they're, st- but they're very good. Like I, I haven't run into a DePaul theater student who I'm just like, oh, you know, they are definitely in tune with their, um, their sacrum. Um, but the, <laughs> Their pelvic clock has come up more than once on this show. Oh my gosh, our pelvic clock is ticking. Like <laughs> TikTok, oh <boy>. baby. <laughs> um, uh, I uh, it's so funny. Um, the Columbia students are very scrappy, um, and there's something about them that is they're they're much more adaptable, I think. Um, and there is, there's not a strictness to it. They, because in a lot of those classes, they do value a level of self-motivation and, um, you know, asking questions, uh, and it's particularly in the comedy program, I find this, but I think the theater majors there too. Um, and so, there, it's funny because like I have students at, at at DePaul who are like, so how have my grades? Like, what's what's up with my grades? And like, I haven't seen you post money of my grades on the, the on D two L, and I'm just a little nervous. And the other ones are just like, <laughs> what am I getting out of this? Like, it's very, it's it's interesting how. Uh, it's just the the difference is, you know, this it's not necessarily seriousness about the work. It is a level of um sort of traditionalist versus like I'm gonna take it apart and figure it out. And I'm not yeah. sure that DePaul was great at like encouraging no. a questioning analytical thing. No, no. I mean I just like to a T you've just described for me, the problem of the theater school when we went there. Now, of course, we, you know, we know who knows, but I'm assuming, like you're saying, it's it's a similar vibe of like, don't be you would be the motto, <laughs> would be the motto that I yeah. sort of took from the theater school. Um, and 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 for better or for worse, like some, you know, I, I get the strip down and then you start over and all that, but consistently we've heard when people leave DePaul and go to, and I think it's been Columbia primarily, it's like they're embraced to sort of bring themselves to the work. And I'm like, I wish I was cut like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but not really, because that would have been a whole nother situation. Oh my God. Well, but I'm I, just saying, yeah. I have those feelings sometimes of like, did I just get off too easy? And then that kind of messed me up for a while. Um, I wonder about that because I, I mean, they were on me about, you know, and I'm perfectly fine with saying this. Like I, I, I should say on the outset, I use my training all the time. Like the training that I got there, I definitely use. However, in terms of my own artistic voice and who I am as a person, um, as an artist, I, I wanted to do things that were more bizarro world. Uh, I wanted to do things that were more comedic. I don't think they knew what to do with me. And I got sort of dinged for like some gender identity stuff, like, which was also like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I haven't, we haven't talked about these types of things. I haven't seen you in 40 years. I know, isn't that insane? <laughs> or wait. I, can't be 40 years. I'm no, only 45. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> also, I would just like to yeah. say how lovely it is to see you both. <laughs> oh, yes. It's a, a, your, your picture, unfortunately, is a little pixelated for me, but I, I get the gist. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, hmm. Let me know if I can. Then, I don't know. There's nothing to, no, there's nothing no. to do about you, you it. Still, you still look cute. You're just kind of pixelated. Yeah, oh, okay. I also <laughs> always very nervous about like what, what freeze face am I giving you? Um, oh yeah, mine is always like this. Yeah, mine too. Mine is always like the worst possible. <laughs> it's never, and there are some people whose like freeze face is always like just kind of gorgeous, and I'm just like, yeah, oh fuck those people. Yeah, those I people. Those people. Are yeah. they even zooming? Are they even zooming? I know. If their are face they zooming if like... he hasn't been caught mid burp? You like, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, but what I was saying is that they, like, I, there was one of the, uh, voice and speech professors. I had Mm -hmm. a them, and they said that I, like, they were worried about my femininity. Oh, for Christ's sake. What are you worried about? What was going to happen to it? Like, it will disappear. They were pleased that they saw me wear earrings. Oh my God, somebody literally said that to you? Yes. Yeah. We, we, and apparently the voice and speech teachers, as well as a couple of the movement teachers, had had a talk about it. And at the time, like, I, I, I this is one of the things that I, that as a, just as a human being in our current moment, like I have a lot of different feelings about as a as a gen x person who probably would have identified as a non-binary uh if that language had been available to me um i probably you know i could have had a way to talk about it but there was only one way and as a gen xer like i don't necessarily identify as non-binary now but i definitely have some fluidity that is associated with my gender performance. Sometimes it's more feminine. Sometimes it's more masculine traditionally. Um, And so at the time there would just wasn't language around it. And I think that they were just thinking in terms of like, well, we don't, she's not an ingenue. She's also not a mom. So we don't know how to give this note. So let's talk about her gender performance. (laughs) 
I this even... is so disappointing. <laughs> of all of the things we've heard so far, and yeah. we've heard some doozies, this is so, so, so disappointing. disappointing. Well, Agreed. I, I have some compassion for it, only in that, I, again, they were in a world that didn't know about that, truly. Um, and so I don't feel like I necessarily was uh hindered by it but it definitely didn't help that you know it was i was still going to do what i was going to do but it was it like a weird like why are we having this conversation what does that even mean i don't even know who i am or what i'm doing right i mean we come back to that a lot of that we were so young and we don't even know what the hell is happening and then to be told that someone's worried about your gender what i mean that is even um the language i mean it just seems like um not not only inappropriate but like um like another planet you must have felt like maybe you entered another planet i did i but also it was just sort of like in my mind again because i i actually looked this up like gender talking about gender in this way is a really new phenomenon like it wasn't until like the early 90s that people started even having and this was like in you know at like Berea or something <laughs> they weren't or Oberlin, like they weren't having uh, gender identity conversations in the mainstream at least. And so I think for myself, I was always just like, no, I like, I like cross-dressing. That's how I termed it to myself. And I also, I don't, so it was, it wasn't so much gender because again, they didn't have the language for it. It was just like, well, we're worried about your femininity and how you're, you know, that's just kind of how they just, it was so odd. And I remember leaving. But was me- it a part, was it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was done. <laughs> oh, well, I just, I, I wondered, like, are, are you saying that it was a part of a discussion in terms of whether or not you're going to be able to stay in the program? No. Um, this was in my junior year, third year. And it was like at the beginning, uh, sort of the beginning-ish of third year. And they were thinking about, like, is had to do with casting like they kept wanting me to do things that were sort of hyper femme and they didn't know where to put me and so they would put me into sort of um sexless roles or roles that were uh or the oddball which again totally fine with I was totally fine with being a weirdo but it wasn't uh, like they they just kept casting me in such odd things because I just don't think they knew what to do with me. And so they were like, she seems like a pretty good actor, but are we really going to put her in, you know, a Noel Coward play in a like high status, you know, dressing gown thing? Like, are they going to be doing that? No. Um, so yeah, it was like, I think that they... I think that for a long time, the binary existed for them. And that's just the only way they knew how to talk about it. And they were worried about how I was going to be cast in things. So what were you cast in? What were some of your roles? (laughs) You know, what's really funny. Um, (laughs) So I was cast as Masha in Google. Um, And then, uh, so I was in Our Country's Good. And this is the funny part for me is that, so I was cast as 
Shitty Meg, <laughs> which was a prostitute. I don't remember the play. Uh, it's I. Nobody. I don't. I can't imagine anybody would remember. <laughs> Did play. Patrice Eggleston direct it? Yes. Who directed it? Okay. It was Patrice, mm-hmm. and I was cast as Shitty Meg, which was a prostitute, but then also a male preacher. And I loved playing the preacher. Like that was my favorite thing that I got to do. I had to play Shitty Meg, where I had you know a bodice that shoved my boobs up to my chin. And, but I thought that was just a really interesting, like, y'all are really sending some mixed signals here because it's like, either I play hyper femme or I'm playing a man and you can do that. Like you can be creative about your casting. You can figure out different ways of approaching it instead of just saying like, well, we don't know what to do with her. So let's try to teach her a lesson by making her be a prostitute. That's wild. That's so completely wild. Yeah. Uh, did you, at the time that, so I I have a good sense now of how you're able to look at this all retrospectively, but what was it like for you at the time? I had a lot of concerns about my body. I didn't really know what, like, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be as a performer um, because of the quality of the teaching, which was like, you know, you got to do that pelvic clock and then you got to have sunshine inside of you and let it shoot out of you. And then let's look at everybody's uvulas while we're in voice and speech class. (laughs) And like, but I didn't know how to be inside of all of that. And I felt like there was a land of selling yourself and marketing and being aware of who you are as an artist that I did not have access to. So, I mean, I'm certainly articulating this way better now. At the time I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to be real famous one day. (laughs) You know, I think we all have that somewhere in our back, you know, the back of our minds. Um, But I just didn't know who I was as a, as an artist. I knew I knew technically how to act, but I was just like, I don't, I guess I'm not pretty enough or feminine enough to sell myself or to market myself, I guess. And so that was the message that I got was you're not, you're not marketable enough. We don't know what to do with you. And I and I got real, like, after theater school, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I joined comedy sports. <laughs> yeah, which turned out to be the best thing. I think you introduced, is it possible that you were in Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind while we were in school? No. Maybe you just introduced me to it. Um, maybe, yes. I, um, I no, I was, I've never been an ensemble member with the Neo Futurist. I'm an artistic associate, but I've never been an ensemble member with them. Um, and only ensemble does um, the too much light, which is now the infinite wrench. Because oh, okay, straight white man. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's all. But <laughs> were you were you were going there? You were going to see shows there. I, I just feel like you're the reason that I ever went to go see that show. Um, that's possible. I you know what? I don't know if I ever. I don't recall actually seeing them during college. 
but I did go and see other shows outside of it. So I don't know. It's hard for me to say yes or no <laughs> to that. Um, I have a question about your, um, cause I'm, I'm always fascinated by upbringing. So mm-hmm. you're from North Carolina. Yes. And were you like a kid in every play? Were you, were you that kind of a, a kid? Yes. I, so my first role was Oliver in Oliver, um, where I played a boy and just felt real good about it. <laughs> like, you know, I just was, I, I was all, and I played boys for a while. Like I was always playing boys. Um, and then, uh, you know, went through high school. We had a really dynamic and very, um, we had a great theater teacher. So I was in a very small town. Asheville is the closest town to the place where I grew up, which is Black Mountain. And Asheville is, <laughs> it's very liberal. Um, it's, but at the time I was just like, Ugh. you know, I didn't know anything about it. It was like hippies. Um, I need to get <laughs> a big city and show them who I am, you know, like. Um, and so, I, but I had a, a theater teacher, her name was uh, Peggy Boring, and we all called her PB. Um, and she was a, she was a real influence on just attention to detail and and performance. And she really kind of butted heads against the administration a lot because of her, the, her selection of material. Um, they were very conservative, and she was not. And so we had a play that uh, had a uh, a lesbian character in it and they lost their minds and wound up firing her eventually. Um, yeah. It was, uh, so yeah, it was that kind of place. Like the places, there are places in the, where I'm from that are extremely liberal, but then there's also areas just like in Illinois that are extremely, extremely conservative and sort of old school Southern. So like, you know, or mountain people, um, don't watch hillbilly elegy. So, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to, cause I read the book and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I usually that doesn't work out well when I go see the movie. <laughs> I know, <it's> true. <laughs> um, so, uh, and she was, and she's the one that introduced me to DePaul. So like that was sort of my, my in to that, you know, being able to audition. Um, I wasn't a great student in high school. And so I kind of had to get in through an audition process. Otherwise, I was probably wasn't going to go to college. Um, and which I think is really funny that I teach college now. <laughs> and I almost did <laughs> high school. <laughs> did you just hate it? Did you just hate high school? Or did you? I wanted to learn things. I loved learning. School sucked. Like that was my... Like, and I had teachers that were great and that wanted, you know, like, and I did well in those classes, but like, if I didn't, if I wasn't, intre- I, I mean, I, I think I suffer from the, uh, the same thing a lot of people do, which is if I'm not interested in it, I'm not going to do well at being forced to learn it. Um, and the teachers weren't skilled at helping people kind of get into learning the thing. So so yeah, I uh, I got in kind of through a back door. <laughs> I feel like that's like my memoir through the back door, through the back through door, the back door. Which is frankly the way a lot of people have to get into things. I mean, what you're describing in terms of this whole issue about your gender 
is I mean, I think Boz and I have our versions of that with the, you know, our versions of that, why we, they, I don't know. I I wouldn't say they didn't know what to do with me at the theater school because that, I think, I think they didn't know what to do with people who were really talented and didn't fit into a certain box. I think they just, I think they wanted to kind of hide me in the in the closet you know what I mean it was like uh this is one we're not that proud of so she's got to go you know sweep the floors kind of a situation but I say that with the understanding that that is also how I thought of myself and I'm sure I was projecting that in in you know it's like I don't and I feel like I should say every time we're quote unquote, talking bad about the theater school. It's yes, there are lots of criticisms, but it's also, at least for my part, in the rear view, I can see it's something that I really invited. The bad, the bad treatment that I experienced to some degree, I invited because it was the only way I knew how to be received by the world. And thankfully, I've moved on from that. But if, 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 if it's true that it's a place that wants to you to be whoever it is that they want you to be. And, and at that time, I mean, we were truly on the, on the border between the way things used to be and the way things would be. And, and it was still very much operating in the way things used to be. So, um, I just lost my train of thought, but I, I, I think, um, it's it's true that they wanted people to fit into a certain box. And if you didn't, then you had to find your way into a back door of something else. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. And I think so much of it has to do with the myth of. You know, it's like that. Um, I think the title of like the book about the circle and the square is if if you don't dance, they beat you. And. Or something like that. I'm probably mangling that. <laughs> that's a great title. If that is not the title, that's my favorite but it title. It should be, yeah. But I think there's a myth of, because this is something I actually fight against with some of the older school, uh, like acting teachers or even improv teachers too. There's this idea of like, no, I must break you down and then build you back up again. And it's like, you don't know my life. You don't. You don't get to dictate my identity. You have like help me grow my identity instead of telling me that we we have to start tabula rasa. And it opens the door for a lot of like a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of abuse, a lot of like kind of ugly behaviors that I'm just like I don't think that's necessary to be a good performer or a good artist. I think a level of truth and a level of honesty and compassion and humanity is what makes a good artist. Um, and the desire to share like that, those to me feel very much in line with like my own philosophy, but also I'm just sort of like, I, I just don't think it's helpful for someone to yell at you because you just didn't, you weren't conforming to a certain way. And then if ultimately that sort of yelling and, uh, sort of humiliation that happens in those classes sometimes is really just a reflection of the teacher themselves. It's not about the student. Um, yeah. It's not about the work. It's not about, and it, and it's so hard when you're 17 and 18 to see that it's just, it's part of, like you yeah. said, like this old school kind of, um, 
um, false sense of like, these people know everything because when you are 17, they do know everything. And, um, I guess I'm wondering about your, I'm I'm going back a little bit just because I'm so curious. Do you remember what you auditioned with when you got into the theater school? It's okay if you don't. No, my favorite. I have a, I, okay. So let me see. I remember auditioning with something about, (laughs) I really have a dislike of like mid eighties plays that have female character, like the female characters in mid eighties to early nineties plays are just like, (laughs) it's It's like burn this, burn this, burn this is a big one that comes to mind. The plow, like all those things where it's like, these, who are these people? Who are these people? I have no idea who these people are. And it's like, well, you know what? Give her a gay best friend. And that makes a woman, (laughs) you know? And it's like, okay, I guess. But like the, um, can you believe we ever wondered, we ever tried to get our idea of femininity from David Mamet? <laughs> right? Oh my God. It was like, you were either, uh, whoever that was in Speed the Plow, or you were Martha. And right. exactly. Who's <laughs> was afraid of Virginia Wolf? Like, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, there was not a lot of gray area. You were either the prostitute or the preacher. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, that's totally. So, so you auditioned with a monologue, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. And sorry. You did the whole I, yes, movement I thing. That was from, I don't remember the play. I just remember at a certain point, it was like one of the lines was, I can see the men and I can hear the men, but they don't see me and they don't talk to me. That was one of the lines. And I was like, I mean, I did a good job, I guess. Yeah, you got in. (laughs) You got in. Do you you remember who was uh, running your, was it, was, did you have to come to Chicago for your audition? I did come to Chicago. January 25th, 1992. Oh my gosh, you remember. I know. It's weird. The 25th of, my birthday is on a 25th. So like the 25ths of months kind of stick out to me. And that was one where I was like, that's the first time I ever came to Chicago, which is so nuts to say. <laughs> Can't believe. <laughs> who was that? Do you remember who would, what professors were at your audition? Uh, Betsy. Um, I know uh, John Bridges was. Um, I, he had scouted me and a couple of other people from the um uh the thespian society convention and muncie did y'all ever do that it was like oh but that's how this is the first we're hearing of this yes there was like scouted by john bridges (laughs) he knew our teacher and so we did this you know we did the play elemocenary um by lee blessing and he i can't I'm shocked at how well that came to my mind. Um, but like, <laughs> but the, like he came to see it and there were, there's only three women in the show. Uh, and so it was just an intro into like, he, that's how he knew who I was. Um, and then uh, we, uh, yeah. And then I came and auditioned in Chicago and it snowed and I was like, oh, this is magical, you know, because <laughs> it didn't snow very often. <laughs> where I was so I thought it was amazing little did I know um 
And what was your experience of, I mean, like in your first year, was it because we, we often talk about how um, for some people it was a whole new world and for other people it was sort of a continuation of what they'd been doing in high school. I, I love, I mean, aside from, so here's the thing. I wish I knew how to be a student at that time, because I think that there were some academic classes that were very like that I, I would have benefited from. I think I just did a good job. Um, I also have ADD. So like I, my understanding of how to like be a student in an academic fashion was not great. Like, and especially I came from a school that had not great academics. So I, I, I wish that I had been given greater skill in being a better student because I liked what I learned, except for that. uh, We were, we were, my class was awful to the history of dramatic literature teachers. Um, We were a nightmare. And if I ever had to encounter as a, as a teacher, if I ever had to encounter people like us, I would quit, which I think one of them. Why? What happened? What did you do? What'd you guys? We talked during it. I think that one of the teachers might've been having some like kind of a nervous breakdown. I'm not sure. She was having a difficult time. And then somebody else, I can't remember what his name is, um, but he was furious. Like at one point, (laughs) oh my gosh, at one point during class, Somebody got their hair cut in the back of the classroom during a movie. And then they left the (gasps) hair. And the next class, she was like, like, there was human hair (laughs) in the back of the class. She was furious. And I didn't blame her. Like, at the time, I was like, you know, like, we thought we were just... We were just the punk rock kings and oh wow. Right, right. We were just assholes. <laughs> right. We were just you were not punk rock, you were just punks. Yeah, yeah. yes. We were just That's assholes. I mean, wow. Yeah. So we were I, I wish I had been a better student in that regard. Um and I think we just rebelled against that type of stuff stuff because we thought we were gonna be, you know, because we were thought we were artists. Um and then uh, but other than that, like I loved going to class every day. I, because it was stuff I was interested in doing and it was Viola Spolin improvisation stuff, which I hadn't really encountered before. And so I was really excited about that. And I like, I, I really enjoyed like those classes. I feel like I plateaued pretty early because I, I kind of burned myself burn myself out a little bit. Um, and I wasn't sure what I was doing next because so many things came easily, but then when it started to get hard, I wasn't entirely sure how to break out of that. But the first year, mostly it was the social situation that I felt kind of adrift in. Um, because I, I didn't realize how damaging some of the, like the yelling or the anger from the teachers or the emotional manipulation from the teachers could be. So I think I was just like, yeah, this is how it is. This is it. Can you say more about that? Because we, we've obliquely referenced the yelling uh, probably 20 times already. and But nobody has really told a story um, 
about the yelling? I mean, did you get yelled at that you I remember? didn't ever get yelled at. Um, well, I got yelled at once by Jim Ostelhoff. Um, <laughs> but I actually was pretty, at the time, I was mad because I felt like I hadn't gotten a lot of, I don't know, I felt like I hadn't gotten a lot of pushback on some of the choices I'd made, except for that, it, like, I felt like I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, you go do that. That's fine. But also, you're not feminine enough. And also, you're great. But also, we don't know what to do with you. And then Jim yelled at me at one point about, like, I don't know, how he thought I was being lazy. And I was kind of like, maybe I am being lazy. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a little bit of that. Um, but then, uh, I so I think that we... Um, so David Avcali once said that uh, he just stopped everybody and he was like, the hairs have gone up on my arm. And it used to be that I would throw a shoe if this happened. And it was like somebody had opened a car door incorrectly through space work. Um, oh my gosh. And he just kind of flipped out at that. Um, I had heard that he drew a flat, like one horizontal line across a chalkboard and he was like that is a flat line and that's the scene i just watched wow. oh my god i have the impression that this guy stayed up at night thinking of his next insult by the way he you were a year before us he i don't maybe he returned to the shoe throwing because until you said that i had forgotten but he did throw a shoe in on at, at, not at somebody but like onto the stage a number oh, yes. of times when I he didn't heard, like the way yeah. the scene was going wow wow wild wow so wild. so wild um i was gonna ask like did you did you um when you said you felt adrift in the social does that mean like with your fellow classmates because of the environment or um, i just didn't know how to be uh in a lot of respects I, I was very sheltered I think um and so I think that I had a lot of immaturity in how I dealt with other people I mean I was 18 you know like everybody's immature yeah. we're all right. kinds of monsters at 18 right. so um but I I don't think I did very well because I was I had you know certainly you know away from home depression I had uh, undiagnosed ADD at this time. And I was, um, I, I wanted to live a life of like, sort of, uh, I wanted to, to you know, be like, li live a Sid and Nancy type of life, you know, I guess. Um, and so there was a lot of like, I kind of like, um, how would I describe it? Sort of self-inflicted uh anger, sadness, not sure where to put it, no real language for it, um, loneliness, anxiety, like all of those things that I remember very vividly. And I think is something that happens with my students currently. Like, I don't think that this is whenever anybody is like, oh, kids, kids. <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's nothing wrong with them that wasn't wrong with us. I mean, it's the same thing, especially if you're an artist, there's like fear about self-worth, fear about like, you know, do I, do I demand to take up space? And do I even know what I would say if I did take up space? Like there's a lot of 
real anxiety, especially in the first couple of years, but it exists the entire time. And that first year, I think I was, I, I think I felt adrift because I, I didn't know how to, how to be um, with other people in that, in that way. Um, sometimes I came across as being like, I'm right about everything. And sometimes I came across as being like kind of sad and lonely and shouty. Um, so, so it was just like a real, um, I, I wanted to be funny. I wanted everybody to like, I, in my mind, I was like, I want everybody to think I'm the funniest person they've ever met. And I think that that took a toll because I wasn't really able to like, to slow it down or be vulnerable because I didn't even know what that went. I didn't know what that was, you know, but I think a lot of it is just inexperience, immaturity. I think that's true for a lot of kids coming into that type of environment. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question and we can cut, we can cut this part out if uh, <laughs> after, if, if you don't want to talk about it, but um, my strongest memory of you was you came to my apartment uh, with I was living with Dave Desmalshin uh-huh. and Russell and uh, Oh my God, Russell. I yeah. 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 Who did I live with? Dave, Russell. There was somebody else. You lived with da- Dan. 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 Yeah. Dan Alexander. He was a year younger yeah. than us. Oh and yeah. You yeah. came, you came over to our apartment to do mushrooms for the first time. And you were really, really, excited about doing these mushrooms and I just remember thinking like I I felt it was so important that you had a good time oh. <laughs> I felt this is my codependency and I was like really doing whatever I could to make sure that you didn't have a bad <laughs> bad trip and I think it, part of it was because you were older you know you were one year older and I felt like I need you know I, I just felt this duty to like make sure you had a good time I, you didn't stay at the house I mean but just while you were there I did do you remember yeah. that night at all I do I remember that was probably one of the best times I've ever had um so oh my gosh mission accomplished um <laughs> that's so funny that you say that because I was I was you know it's like one year but it might as well be a decade when you're there you know what I mean there's so much of a cultural difference from one class to another like that's because I felt that way about people who are older than I was like it's so funny that you mentioned that that feeling um I do I remember us kind of go I remember us going outside I remember feeling very euphoric I felt very taken care of which I think actually, you know, I think lends itself to, because, I mean, I don't mind saying this. I'll shout it to the world. I love mushrooms. That's my drug of choice. I don't know how to yeah. get them. They're not cool, but I love them. Yeah. <laughs> like, ever since college, yeah, I'm like, for sure. I don't know how to get mushrooms. You children, do you know, <laughs> you know where the mushrooms are? Because I don't. Um, but I do remember, like, I think that the first time she's on Facebook, like marketplace, Facebook marketplace. You know what's weird is that I'm like, should I Google where to buy mushrooms? <laughs> but you, we're all going to be able to microdose mushrooms. Pretty soon. I was going to say you could probably, there's probably a vape a pen doctor. that they sell at the AMPM that you can get to those mushrooms. 
but I, I do remember but like it's funny that you mentioned that because I do remember being like taken care of in a way that was like very kind and gentle and like it was I you know I I think I remember the feeling of it which lent itself to me really feeling good about doing it um I think at one point I did have this feeling of like did I forget how to act by doing mushrooms like wow <laughs> it did have that feeling. oh my god that's so interesting but then <laughs> the next day I was like no it's fine I'm fine <laughs> that right. apartment by the way was so weird the boss I don't know if you ever went to this apartment it the walls were covered in cork yes the the one on Lil. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And and oh, they were like the and the walls, walls. There were cork walls and they crumbled and, and so you could never really get the house clean enough. And it's also on a slant. I will never forget one year my dad sent me as a Christmas present roll rollerblades. <laughs> and I put them on in the living room and I just went <laughs> rolling right into the kitchen. The floor was so slow. That's amazing. That was also the apartment where Russell got a family of squirrels living in his closet. <laughs> oh my god, I remember that. <laughs> I remember hearing about that. That's bananas. <laughs> oh my god. So he weirdly had this shame about it. So whenever <laughs> whenever we wanted to be like, what's up? Squirrels, and they still live. He'd be like, "It's fine, it's fine." <laughs> also, though, you know what? None of us should have had apartments in Chicago. No, we were 18 yeah, and no. Yeah. twenty years old. No, we should not have. We really should not. Have. I lived above Potbelly's on Lincoln and oh. had um, uh, rats the size like oh. we had actual oh. rats living with us, oh. and uh, it was rough. It was rough. Not mice, a rat, a <laughs> real rats. big rat. Oh. Yep. Yeah, they oh. were coming for that Potbelly's. Oh, yeah. they they sure were. <laughs> oh yeah, I always felt so, sorry for the landlords. Like those poor people who rented out to us. Like we would have parties. The floors were always saggy. It was yes. like, uh, you know, like building codes held over from tenements. Like, truly, these were terrible places for us to be living. And we just, yeah, yeah that place that we lived in got torn down. And I, I, my landlord was not a poor landlord. He showed up at our house at any time he wanted. And Earl Pianki, I'll never forget his name. <laughs> this real South Side wow. Polish guy. He'd show up with homemade wine. And bring a friend. He like wanted to hang out with us. Yeah, okay. it was real weird. Yeah, that's it real weird. Real... Um, that Jen, weird. how was your sh your showcase experience? Now that we're talking about absurd things, oh. well, your show the whole show. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Real bad. Did you go to? Did you guys just go to L.A. and Chicago? No, New York, right? That happened after us. I think after yeah. all of us, right? I, we went. Yeah, we went to L.A. Okay. And again, I also was like, I think it was at the end of my fourth year, and I'm like. I have an acting degree. <laughs> I don't have any actual skills. <laughs> I, right. And then I was like, what am I? Because no, like there was no discussion of the truly awful year that happens after you graduate. Like there was no discussion 
of like, it was like, yeah, you submit headshots and then you get an agent maybe, and then you do some auditions and then eventually you're on in Steppenwolf. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Was, right. Right. There was no, there was no nothing. And they did like, it was right. like one or two classes about, you know, marketing yourself, but really nothing that was practicable. Like it, there wasn't like a, we needed to, to go to like, uh, I don't know, uh, like some some sort of a. <laughs> we need to go to like a like skilled trade school to learn. Yes, welding. We yeah. needed like welding school for actors. Welding. Like, this is what you do. Yeah. Yes, those things are necessary. Or or Columbia College apparently because yeah. <laughs> Jen Cober says that she totally learned how to get a job from Columbia College and she oh. went straight from that into fully making a living doing yeah. stand-up and acting she and skipped never the whole back. steppenwolf gary sinise thing and just went right to super fame and stardom <laughs> forget right. gary sinise at steppenwolf but um yeah so you you i i'm curious as how did you how did you make your way that you survived that year and then you were like so, um yeah <laughs> it's so interesting like i so I, after I graduated, I really was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know. I went, I had one meeting with an agent and they were just like, yeah, we have too many other people like you. So, and I'm not even sure why they needed me to come in to tell me that it was so weird. And I think that after that experience and also my headshots were just like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? I want to see it. Oh, can you send us? Do you still I, have one? please? Yes. I actually sent it to, um, I'm going to, I can find it. Okay. <laughs> I can, I'll, I will, you can absolutely publish that shit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. I'm good. It's, I look like I'm just going to have a really serious conversation either <laughs> about migraines or tampons. And, <laughs> and it is so, oh, I love it. Oh gosh. I mean, I don't look like me. I don't look like myself. I, but I look like some kind of weird facsimile of who I am like it was very it's so it was so odd and I I think because I didn't feel like I was going to be seen as myself I was like you know what I'm just going to go out and audition for stuff and see what happens um I and then I got called back for comedy sports and as somebody who had done Viola Spolin style improv at the theater school which is like you know, you're working on objects three hours, three times a week or something like that, or twice a week or whatever. Like that's bonkers. And I didn't know how to do it. I knew how to do it for process, but not for product. And I just was like, well, I'll go in and just, cause we were shouted at for not for being funny. Like this isn't comedy. This is, you don't, don't be funny. You're not trying to be funny. Um, and so I remember doing, improv at comedy sports which I definitely looked down on uh at the time I was like oh I'll just go because I think my boyfriend didn't call me or something and I was like fine I'm gonna go audition and I uh <laughs> so I did I'll show him um and so I went and auditioned and they called me back and I was like Ugh. and then I got in <laughs> and I was like fine I'll do it for a couple months and I wound up doing it for almost three years and it actually gave me a lot of stage time. It helped me to understand better 
what an audience might want and need um, from the performers. I I kind of got off my high horse about entertainment and what that is. Um, it taught me a ton. Uh, and then on the other side of that, so I became the artistic director of a theater company called WNEP. And I kind of muscled my way in. <laughs> Uh, they were connected with comedy sports, but I was like, you know, um, I wound up marrying the executive director uh, for a while. And then we got divorced. And that was for, <laughs> that was for the best. That was for the best. Um, but uh, and now I'm married to the love of my life, which is nice. But like, uh, Woo! <laughs> but while I was in that theater company, so I was doing comedy sports, but then also doing Dada performance art. Hmm. <laughs> No, I'm telling you, preacher, prostitute. Honestly, and I do feel like that's actually something that is kind of a consistent thing in my life, which is the trying, like, it's not so much that we know what the definitions of the two sides of the coin are. It's just that there are two sides. And so, you know, I can go one and I've had I've had sort of this like switching back and forth between different sides of the binary my whole life. So I don't feel, and I feel whole when I'm free to kind of move back and forth between those things. So like for something to be hyper commercial, I'm interested in that for, cause I'm interested in how it interacts with the audience, but for somebody, for something that is also just like really obscure and weird where I pretend to be German and wear clown makeup and like scare people totally into it, you know? So um so yeah I mean like so that like that was and I directed a lot I just wound up doing a whole lot of directing I did a lot of writing and then wound up post divorce uh getting involved with uh Second City and just teaching there and then I wound up directing there I don't perform as much as I used to um because it takes so much energy there's I love doing it and I will probably do more but it is I'm 47. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Sometimes mama's tired. Mama's tired. I'm tired and I'm yet somehow still not facially okay enough to play like an older woman yet. Mm. Like, yeah. There's yeah. Some, there's some bragging. What's that? That I'm bragging? Stop bragging. Stop bragging. I know this is my flex, but it is like, but none of us are you know what i mean oh like i am oh, i am and i do of what old is and it's not this for any of us like it's no just it is like, no it is not this wait so we uh, we almost have to end but i i, I, I can't leave without <laughs> no, no no we no. can't leave without talking about drunk j crew which is so hilarious it's and like my favorite thing and what's the origin of it um so, <laughs> liter- so I, okay, this is not a, this is not a, a shill for J. Crew, but I just really like their clothes. Um, and so <laughs> I, uh, one day I was literally eating some cereal and I was looking at their, um, at their stuff and I was like, these women look really hammered. And so I just kind of, and I was by myself in the house and I just started being like, I'm, and I started like voicing. Out, like out loud to nobody and so I just started making myself laugh and I was like oh I'll make this little you know I'll make like eight of them um 
and I posted them on Facebook and it went bananas. Like it was, I was so uh, overwhelmed by it. Like I was just like all of a sudden and then like Buzzfeed called and then like Jezebel called, like the people were calling about it. My friend, um, uh, a friend of mine said that like, you should start a Tumblr. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll start a Tumblr. And so I did. Um, and that suddenly got a whole bunch of followers. And and then, you know, I have an Instagram. And then somebody tried to steal it. Um, so that's Ooh, why it is Drunk course. J. Crew, you guys, instead of just Drunk J. Crew on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. So, so if anybody wants to follow that, they can. <laughs> Was it was it that guy, the fat Jewish that was trying to steal it? That he steals everybody's uh, comedy Instagram stuff. No, it was some somebody who seems to think that. Or I I I looked around online and I found his stuff like as a part of like some men's rights websites. Oh my oh, god! Well, okay, so of course it was a man, and yeah. of course that would be his shtick. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I think that kind of, and also because of like some copyright issues, people were just like, did you monetize this? And I'm like, I, it's just more of a calling card than anything else. It's something I can direct people it's to. freaking funny and brilliant. And really, the reason that I love it and everyone should go check it out is that it is so specific. The words that come out of the the people's mouths are very specific. It's not just like blah, blah, blah. It's like there's like a syllable where it should, or like a consonant where there should be a, a, a vowel. And it just changes the whole, it's like amazing. So bravo to that. Oh, thank yeah, you. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite things about in comedy is when comedy has like the most subtle details and I think that's what Boz is picking up on too. Like just the the subtlest detail of like, yes, if it wouldn't have been nearly as funny if that N wasn't right where it is or, you know, it's really spot on. It's so, so, so good. You're brilliant. You so and we will, have to, we will have to have you on again one day, but alas, we, we have to stop for, for now. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for, you so for, much. for doing this. So lovely. You're hilarious. Hilarious and specific. That's what I would say. If someone said, hey, that's Jen Ellison. I, why is she hilarious? Because she's a very specific. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Love it. Thank you. And I'll um send I'll send you an email about when your episode's gonna work. And if you have I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks! <laughs>